This is an RNZ podcast. It has been another seven days of upheaval for the National Party. We understand our interview with Nikki Kay this time last week was the last straw for National's short-lived leadership team. Of course, Todd Muller resigned, Nikki Kay and Amy Adams have announced they're leaving politics, and nine weeks before the election, National has a new leader. If you were watching TVNZ1 seven days ago at 9.30 in the morning, you might have heard Jack Tame introduce the Q&A show like that, introducing Judith Collins for the first chat with her since she became the National Party leader, with plenty of big issues to talk about. Let's begin with policy, and how nice to have some policy finally to discuss in this campaign. So your infrastructure package will cost $31 billion. And while Jack Tame did give her a grilling about that epically costly but not quite comprehensively costed transport plan, it wasn't exactly the issue which ate up much of the oxygen in the media this past week, nor indeed was any other pre-election political party policy. It was all about resignations and disgrace. The next day, last Monday, Rangatata MP Andrew Falloon suddenly quit. Initially, it was for mental health reasons and some unspecified mistakes, according to a statement to the media authorised by his party's leader. But before long, and after some probing by reporters, it emerged that those mistakes were sackable offences in themselves. The transmission of pornographic images to at least four women, some of which were investigated by the police at the time, though not deemed prosecution-worthy. And the timeline of who knew what and when about all that prompted political reporters to see Judith Collins' TV interviews last weekend in a very different light. Last Sunday, Judith Collins was also interviewed on Three's show The Hui and the day before that by News Hub political editor Tova O'Brien on Three's weekend politics show News Hub Nation. Kia ora, Judith, thank you. Oh, hi, Tova. I must say, is it five days already? It's been a long <laughs> and big five days. How would you rate those first five days from one to ten? One being kind of Bill English, circa 2002, middle Muller, Bridges, and ten being John Key at the height of his popularity? Well, I hope that everyone feels like it's uh, 10. And knowing what she knew by last Tuesday, Tover O'Brien was not giving Judith Collins 10 out of 10. If you've got a guy who's sending drunken pictures to a teenager, you should have dealt with that immediately, Friday night or Saturday morning. Why did you wait? I am not going to address issues like this by phone or email or text. Instead of taking action, she played up to the cameras in photo ops and did the weekend current affairs shows. I will take responsibility. You didn't want to overshadow your weekend media. No, I wanted to deal with him directly. And knowing that the Prime Minister's office had received the initial complaint before the National Party leader herself, Tove O'Brien went on to say it was a plague on both their houses. Given the seriousness of these allegations, both National and Labour needed to act with more haste. Andrew Falloon was an MP for five days longer than he should have been. Now, that opinion was criticised as an overreaction by some other commentators or overreach as far as declaring that an elected MP should have been kicked out of the House of Representatives the very day that his behaviour first came to the attention of the Prime Minister's office. Though Tover O'Brien was not alone in that. And I resent that this guy will be paid for the next two months or probably longer by us as a Member of Parliament when he should be hooked immediately. That was Marcus Lush on News Talk ZB last Monday night, though he was more mad about the way that mental health was cited as a reason for Andrew Falloon quitting and not his misconduct. And I think it's offensive to anyone that does have mental health issues that they would blame this on that. I just find it unbelievable that the first thing is, the first thing they should have said is, own it, I sent shots to a woman. 
She is the victim and just got away, except making themselves the story and just walked away. That's the entire story. But to try and, when the perpetrator tries and garners sympathy for themselves, I'm speechless about that. And it does make us wonder about the calibre of the MPs we are getting and the way it was handled in the timeline. But for the journalists and the public alike, it was pretty hard to form a hard and fast opinion last Monday while the facts about exactly what had happened with Andrew Falloon were still coming out. On News Talk ZB, that put Marcus Lush at odds at times with some of his callers. But I guess I just wouldn't be so harsh to judge the guy. I have no idea who he is. He's not my local MP. I've never heard him speak where, or whatever. Where did, you, where did you see that the police have investigated that and there won't be charges? Like, I think it's a fairly recent story. Um, now, by this time, Marcus Lush and others in the media were also turning the spotlight on Judith Collins' handling of the episode, following a lot of media praise for her since she succeeded Todd Muller the week before as National Party leader. Indeed, the New Zealand Herald published an editorial calling her a success just one day after she won the leadership vote. And last Monday night, Marcus Lush saw it like this. Can I just address something else saying that I think, right? Being in the media for a long time, um, not as a reporter, but as a, as a host, the RDR, and seeing how other people run their media, you know, praise for Collins and stuff like that, I reckon the media, they don't realise it, but the media always have a vested interest in a close election. They're always trying to talk up a great battle. And I reckon that that's behind a lot of their commentary. They want Collins to be good because they want it to come down to the wire because it's good for journalism and it's exciting for the election and it's good for news. I reckon, so I reckon that's what happens when people yeah. start praising Collins and stuff. I think they're unaware yeah. of it, but they're desperate for a close battle because it makes it seem more exciting. And that was not exactly dispelled by the Herald the next day, casting the first question time in Parliament to pit the two new leaders against each other as Stardust versus The Crusher, Jacinda Ardern and Judith Collins face off in Parliament. And when that was all over, Stuff, which recently trumpeted its commitment to kicking out the clickbait, ran the headline, PM resists the crusher in first question time clash. Now the same day, Stuff had an online headline quoting Andrew Falloon's father as being shattered by developments. He declined to tell Stuff how his son was coping and told them he hadn't actually spoken to his son yet. And Stuff also reported the original complainant was a 19-year-old University of Canterbury student. Now that's not enough to actually identify her, but still that's more information than most people would really need to know. Soon after, the New Zealand Herald also reported the ex-MP's parents as shattered, while NewsHub sent a reporter to their door. Nor was his family aware, his mother today reeling. How's he doing? Um, not, not very well. I... How are you? Not great. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No, no comment apart from that. But the next day, last Wednesday, the boot was on the other foot. Immigration Minister Ian Lees Galloway was sacked after information about an affair was sent to Judith Collins, who then sent it on to the Prime Minister's office. But only after she mentioned it without naming names on the AM show that morning, prompted like this by the host Duncan Garner. Have you received anything on about Labour ministers or Labour MPs? Um, I have, actually, and, um, and I have uh, advised the Prime Minister and I've asked for anybody who has that information to send it directly to her. When did this happen? Um, oh, actually, just yesterday, but I've passed it on, and I'm not going to be indulging in any attacks on 
Labour on these things so you've because passed a file or pass a, a tip off. Uh, it's it's a tip off to the Prime Minister because I think about, that's about a Labour Party minister. Yes, that's right. About certain behaviours. Now, after Ian Lee's Galloway was dismissed later that morning, News Talk ZB's political editor Barry Soper said the rumour mill over his behaviour had been working overtime for months, and he reckoned the Prime Minister would have been the last to know about it. Now, some saw this as an echo of dirty politics in the past, where politicians, lobbyists and bloggers combined to put politically charged information into the public domain, with the media then amplifying it and harvesting the headlines. And the scandals about MPs' conduct have squeezed significant political news out of the headlines this past week. On Wednesday night, News Hub's Mike McRoberts solemnly said seven MPs in the past fortnight have announced they'll be quitting politics for a range of reasons. And then he said this... Now the two leaders are scrapping over who handled sensitive information with more integrity. Political editor Tovar O'Brien reports on a parliament in disarray. But in spite of a bit of chaos within our two top political parties, Parliament is actually working pretty much as it usually does. This very week there's been a relatively orderly debate in the House and legislation has been advanced and parliamentary committees have met just as they were scheduled to do, which is good because our democracy and civil society depends on that and not on ministers and MPs and their personal conduct. Under the questioning headline, Where Will the Political Sackings and Scandals End?, Herald political reporter Claire Trevette said this. The challenge for all leaders is to clean up their own house, not to point at the neighbours and say it was just as filthy. At the moment, all the voters see of Parliament is a pigsty. But again, the conduct of some MPs reflects badly on them and to some extent their political parties, but it doesn't make the highest court in the land a pigsty. Meanwhile, it's stuff. Political reporter Henry Cook was worried about this too under the headline... Politics is worth saving, but is Parliament? What an awful place. That's what any right-thinking individual would have to think about Parliament, reading the horrid river of news stories from the last month. The easy answer, said Henry Cook, would be to burn it all down and start again, but that would be the wrong answer, he reckoned. Some of our country's most committed public servants spend long days and nights attempting to make the country a better place, he wrote. For every horrid incident, you can actually find some backbench MP, he said, plugging away on a worthy issue with little media attention. And that's good to know. But Henry Cook wound up with this thought. The grubby stuff is what people remember, but there's a lot more to the circus. And it's the media, of course, which choose which bits of the circus to highlight. And Henry Cook acknowledged that one reason politics at Parliament seem, in his words, so weird, is that it's so closely observed by the media. And some in the media pointed out that, actually, we've been here before. In another article last Wednesday, Stuff's Andrea Vance pointed out that a series of bullying and misconduct incidents led to what Andrea Vance called a damning report on Parliament as a toxic workplace just last year. Consultant Debbie Francis recommended an independent commission for parliamentary conduct to investigate complaints and also a shared parliamentary workplace code of conduct. But while none of the reporters referring to that this week pondered the role the media might play in turning the place toxic, the Francis report did like this. Bullying and harassment is also alleged by respondents from managers to staff, among staff, among MPs, from the public to staff and MPs, and from members of the press gallery. The report went on to say that inappropriate behaviour by members of the press gallery or media more generally was identified by a significant number of respondents, and some of them felt that journalists in Parliament sometimes crossed the line into disrespect in pursuit of clickbait. Their behaviour can further fuel the overall environment of gossip and intrigue. 
Now, at that time, the Parliamentary Press Gallery issued a statement to MediaWatch to say, we are happy to respond to the allegations made against the Press Gallery and work with the Speaker on the proposed Code of Conduct for Parliament while safeguarding the independence of the media. And journalists would probably resist any effort to bind them into a Code of Conduct applying to politicians, lest they be barred from robust confrontations in their quest for answers to questions of public importance. One of those noting the lack of progress this past week was the political editor of newsroom.co.nz, Sam Sushdeva, under the headline, People Deserve Better from Parliament. Voters, he said, must demand a higher quality of conversation and the media must help facilitate it and our politicians must live up to it. But on Twitter, Sam Sushdeva also noted that those gasping now about what seemed to be a week of unprecedented turmoil in and around Parliament should actually look back to this point in the last election campaign. Eight weeks before Election Day in 2017, we had yet to experience the replacement of Andrew Little by Jacinda Ardern, the retirements of two party leaders, Peter Dunn and Materia Ture, and Winston Peters' super overpayment leak. Now back then, all those events also got plenty of political coverage, but there is one important difference this time round, as RNZ's political editor Jane Patterson pointed out on Morning Report last Thursday. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. We are facing um, a huge economic challenge, and the, we are eight weeks out from the election. So we need to, the, the MPs and the media need to start focusing, actually, what are the policies? What's the plan from these two parties? So, uh, yeah, as I said, eight weeks into the election campaign, the House is still sitting for two weeks. So I'm sure everyone will really be hoping to turn their attention back to those incredibly important issues and actually hear um, what the political parties intend to do to get New Zealand through this COVID crisis. And perhaps there is an upside to getting the scandals out of the way early and rogue MPs out of the frame. More time for coverage of things like that that matter.